0: Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Hey there, Cove Church. Uh, It is great to be with you. If we've not met, my name is Brandon. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff. And I wanna pause maybe right there just for a second and acknowledge those who are new, you know, tuning in online. I think sometimes we forget what it's like to be, you know, the, the new person at church or the new kid on the block, the new person in school, in class, at work. And um, it, it may be that you received an invite from someone who, um, you know, attends Cove Church. They believed in us enough to help you feel warm, welcome, wanted, uh, maybe to provide an atmosphere where you could connect with the Lord. And you were courageous enough to accept the invitation. And so I commend you. And we're just so we take that very seriously. And we're glad that you're here. Welcome. Uh, Similarly, there may be those who you didn't receive an invite. You were just also courageous enough to, you know, come on your own to check us out on your own. And uh, we welcome you. We trust that you'll be able to connect with the Lord as well. And so uh, for those, also for those who are new, if we stay right there with that theme, it might be good for you to know that um, our pastor, uh, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Paula, are on sabbatical for the next ninety days. Uh, it's going to go quick. No one wants them back more than me, and uh, I, I know we're going to miss them. But that that word sabbatical, uh, Sabbath, at it at its core it has this idea of ceasing, of stopping. And the Lord has built in especially in, you know, certainly in the word through his commands to rest, but also just in nature, this uh, examples of rest and, and some warnings when we choose to blow by that stop sign of Sabbath and ceasing. And so uh, we're excited that our pastor is able to get some rest and we wanna make it a rhythm for us to keep them in our hearts, our minds and our prayers. So I wanna pray for him right now. If you would join me, Jesus, thank you for Pastor Aaron. Pastor Paula, we love them. Uh, we're so, you know, um, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5 right in there says that you've given some gifts to the church and, and one of them that you've given us are, are pastors. And so Pastor Aaron, Pastor Paula, they're gifts to us. And, and we pray your deepest rest. We pray that you would um, fill them with your spirit while they're away, that you would energize them, that, that you would bring them back to us full of vitality, full of strength and energy, passion, your wisdom, and your spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So uh, what what I want to do today is I want to set up our summer theme. So again, for those of you who are new, this is a great uh, weekend for you to be part of Cove Church. And maybe that would be our invite is perhaps you're looking for a church uh, our invite to you would be, why don't you just travel with us through the summer, engage in this series with us. And so uh, we're going to set, set up the series today, or set up the theme today, which is this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, James 1.22, deceiving yourselves. In fact, why don't you say it with me? Ready, go. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Yourselves. And so, Cove Church, to get this done, what we're going to do is journey through two books of the Bible, Galatians and 1 Thessalonians. Or if I go back to when my kids were young watching Veggie Tales, 1 Thessalonians. These are uh, two of the Apostle Paul's earliest books, uh, earliest writings. In fact, many theologians believe kind of one and two in order Galatians first and then 1 Thessalonians. So, um, written early on in his ministry. and, And I'll unpack those as we move forward, but our heart is that you would fall in love, certainly with the Bible, but specifically this summer with these two books of the Bible. Uh, Many of you really enjoy this idea of kind of expository preaching, and I enjoy it as well. I don't know that I'm the best expository preacher, but I do enjoy this type of learning. It's not the only way to study the Bible. Contrary to some popular belief out there, we have to study the Bible as it comes to us. But certainly Paul's letters set up well for some expository preaching. So we're gonna march through them. And sometimes it's just helpful to have the background and and the purpose and the application for Christian living. And, And as we have that, and as we study the word, we fall in love with it, I believe, more and more and more. But today, let's just set things up before we get to Galatians, before we get to 1 uh, let's take a look at the book of James. We're gonna be in James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27, and uh, a little bit of background. So there's some question as to which James in history wrote the book of James, but most theologians attribute it to the brother of Jesus, which I've said multiple times, Jesus' brother James is one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection out there, right? So he didn't believe in his brother, didn't follow him during his earthly ministry, but something changed, a little thing called the resurrection of his older brother uh, changed his heart and his mind and he eventually called him his Lord and Savior. And I've often asked the question, what would it take for you to convince your sibling that you were the Messiah? Jesus did just that, and so uh, James writes this letter. We we, we don't really know. It, it actually has baffled theologians uh, th- this letter for centuries. It's it's what's known as a as a Catholic epistle, not Catholic as in in terms of Catholicism, but Catholic in terms of general. So a general letter, meaning among other things that we don't really know who. Addressees are. We don't really know necessarily specifically who James is writing to. Uh, the opening says, uh, you know, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And this would seem to be Jewish, but really it has some spiritual meaning that could include Gentiles that are being kind of grafted into the family of God through. Through Jesus, regardless, it's a large swath of people. In other words, it's not a specific church like the church at Ephesus or the church at Colossae or the church at Thessalonica. It's it's a kind of a, a large group of people spread over an indeterminate amount of territory. Again, it's confused theologians for some 2,000 years. It still kind of confounds biblical thinkers today, from its author to the addressees to the content. In fact there really is not a, you know, a logical rhythm or a systematic theme to the book of James. It's, it's almost written like this collection of wisdom literature, kind of these varying, differing, you know, beautiful thoughts of wisdom kind of stitched together into what we know today as the book of James, much like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. In fact, James is referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Further, Cove Church, it, it doesn't really uh, contain the gospel. Pastor Brown, what do you mean? It's, it, of course it does, it's in the Bible. Well, yes, it's in the Bible, so it, it, it's contained within what we would say the, the story of the gospel. What I mean by that is this. There's nothing explicit in the book of James, interestingly enough, uh, about Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. It, it, we could say it this way. The gospel is not explicit in the book of James. It's implicit. It's implied all throughout the book of James. But this is one of the things, for instance, that really bothered uh, Martin Luther, our, our old German you know, theologian. He, he actually would have been just great without the book of James in the Bible. He had some really harsh things to say about it. He loved Paul, but he didn't really care for James. And one of the things, he, he for a couple of reasons. Number one, he felt like, some of the doctrinal positions that, that James, at least outwardly, what he read in the book of James, James's letter, kind of warred against his beloved Apostle Paul. But maybe more than that, he didn't like that James wasn't explicit with the gospel. In fact, he said this. Take a look on your screen. It says, in a word, this is, this is Martin Luther speaking about the Bible in general and specifically about <laughs> the book of James. He says, in a word, St. John's Gospel and his first epistle, St. Paul's epistles, especially Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians, and St. Peter's first epistle are the books that show you Christ and teach you all that is necessary and salvatory for you to know. Even if you were to never to see or hear any other book or doctrine, St. James's epistle, on the other hand, Luther says St. James's epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to the others, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Th- those are some harsh words from, from Luther. Some of you may agree with Luther. Those of you who've studied your Bible, I would disagree. Uh, I, I, I love the book of James. It, it's kind of this, you know, kind of this blue-collar practical street level. Book of the Bible, and I, I think I could make the case that it it harmonizes with the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, as well as any other book in the New Testament. In fact, there's a way of studying the Bible. We, we would call this, you know, in theological terms, kind of kind of a hermeneutical lens that we would use to, to dial in and study the Bible. It's something called synoptic tradition. And, and really at its core, what it means is this, is how well does this piece of literature, this letter of the New Testament, for instance, how well does it harmonize with the life and teaching of Jesus with the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are all about the life and ministry of Jesus. So let, let's do a little cross reference, let's see if Luther is correct or if Luther might have jumped the gun a little bit. James one twenty two says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Our theme for the summer. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 7, therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Boy those sound similar. How about this, James 1, 5 through 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. James 2, 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Boy, those sound similar. James 2.8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, James is saying, you do well. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 22. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets, to which we would say, you know, Take that, Luther. Put you know, put that in your theological pipe, and smoke it. Uh, let me let me give us our big idea today, and then and then we're going to take our text, uh, James 1, 19 to twenty-seven. We're just going to march through it. I'll ask you a few questions, and we'll wind down today. Our big idea for today is as we kind of set up our theme for the summer of being doers of the word and not hearers only. Is this we establish the righteousness of God. We establish the righteousness of God. And I'll unpack that word righteousness here in a second. But but here's what I want you to think about. When you think about your life, your your marriage, your ministry, your kids, your your co-workers, the city that you live in, the community that you live in, think about establishing the righteousness of God. We, We want the righteousness of God established in all areas of life. We establish the righteousness of God through loving action, not selfish anger. Through active obedience, not religious observation. Go church, there's a few things I think I know about you. Uh, Number one, you've been angry before. Number two, uh, in your anger, perhaps you've used your own kind of angry intervention to solve problems that are, in front of you rather than say prayer or listening to the lord or or maybe you know using the word to help direct you on how to minister and navigate that situation Number three, maybe for those, let me turn the knife just a little bit more, uh, for those who are a little higher mileage units in uh, the congregation today, and higher mileage, maybe not in age, but in walking with Jesus, maybe more seasoned Christians. So if you would label, label yourself that way, let me, I'm going to, I feel like I can say this to you because I would probably put myself in that category, and, and it's this, uh, y- your intake has has probably exceeded your outflow when it comes to the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. In in proportion to the amount of Bible study and sermons and small groups and all of that 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 you and I have consumed, how much of it have we actually lived out? And what's interesting is James addresses all this in this first chapter in our text today. So I wanna take a look at it together. Verse 19, he says this, know this my beloved brothers, a little Greek word that means brothers and sisters. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Friends, how many times has that been the exact opposite, where we've been quick to speak and quick to anger and slow to listen to others? He goes on, he says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness, there it is, there's that word righteousness, the righteousness of god in the original language that word righteousness means this it's what is right it's justice it's the act of doing what is in agreement with god's standards how about this it means the state of being in proper relationship with god and isn't that what we want co-church when we look at the world around us we want to see a world in proper relationship with god and there's different ways to bring that about and james says one of the ways not to bring that about is through our own selfish anger. How many times have I attempted to employ my own angry antidote to a problem and insisted on some spiritual justification for my behavior? Well, they needed to hear it and I and I kind of, you know, tag my, maybe it's on social media, I make sure I insert a, a Bible verse to kind of back up my assertion. I want us to note a couple of things about Anger. Notice that James doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, be slow to anger. If he were to say, don't be angry, that'd be tantamount to just saying, hey, all you humans out there, don't be human. We, we are human and we feel that emotion of anger many times. But anger, a couple of things about anger anger is a choice and it's a secondary emotion. Pastor Brandon, what do you mean by that? Well, we know it's a choice because, for instance, you could be, you could be hollering at a, a, a family member, a loved one, someone you love, and you're in an argument, you're at, you're at a raised voice, you're hollering at them, the phone rings, and you pick up in the most angelic, beautiful voice and say hello to the person on the other end of the line. Well, what just happened? You made a, a decision to set aside your angry outburst to be kind to someone on the other end of the line. And generally, anger is a secondary emotion. It's not primary. So our, our primary emotions might be, you know, fear or confusion or, or pain. I'm reminded of a story of a little girl who looked out her window and she saw her, her neighbor, who was a pastor, happened to be a pastor, building a fence. Across the backyard, between their yards, and so she went out and and sat down. Didn't play. Didn't bring anything out. She just sat and she watched her neighbor pastor friend build this fence for about four days. Well, about day day two, the pastor was noticing this, and he put his hammer down. And he said, "Sweetheart, listen. You the last couple of days, you've done, you've not played. You've just come out here, and your eyes have been fixed on me. I, I'm I'm wondering, do you want to learn how to build a fence? Do, you know, do you want to help? Do you want me to show you how to, you know, hammer a nail?" And she said, no, I just want to know what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with with a hammer. Primary emotion is pain. Secondary emotion is probably embarrassment, followed by anger, followed by a swear word for our neighbor girl to hear. Friends, listen, Brandon, what's the point? If you... If you struggle with anger, outbursts of anger, unchecked anger, I, I can't tell you how many folks I have sat with who've struggled with anger, who've blown up relationships in their life because of anger, and have said this to me, I, I hear this all the time, I can't help it. Coach let, let me say gently but firmly, that is a lie. Anger is a choice. And James walks us down that path. In fact, verse 21 goes like this, therefore put away all filthiness, make a decision and put it away. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, underline that word meekness for a second, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I wish I had time, it's not part of my message, but I wish I had time to unpack that word meekness. It's actually an untranslatable word Uh, In in the original language, we chose the English word meekness, but it's this incredible balance of maturity with which we receive the word of God. It's one that avoids extremes. It's it's an amazing word there. But James James says, listen, put away. That that is a picture of, in the original language, that's a picture of stripping off old soiled clothes. He says, strip off filthiness and rampant wickedness. It's a choice. That we make that word rampant wickedness uh, is an interesting phrase in the Old King James. It's superfluidity of naughtiness. <laughs> and Cove Church. I, as soon as as soon as I read that, I laughed out loud. Leave it to the Old King James. And I thought of two images popped into my brain: um, spouses fighting and and moms and dads parenting their kids. And so. Says, you could try this next time you get in a fight you you just let your spouse know hey um, we need to address your naughtiness and it's reached a level of super fluidity and it needs to stop uh, and then you can send me an email let me know how that goes parents you can you can you know begin to employ this language with your kids in discipline you you let them know hey we got we got to talk about your naughtiness it's reached a level of super fluidity and it, and it has to stop in fact we asked some of our kids and maybe some of our uh, parents uh, in the church, if they could say superfluidity of naughtiness. take a look at this. And then James says, "Church, he he takes this turn. I don't know that he gives us an explicit antidote to this idea of 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 anger and and you know not being really quick to listen, but really quick to talk." But I think, I think it's implied, he takes this turn, he redirects our attention, he says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, and he uses this illustration of a mirror, he says, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. What what is James talking about right there? There's a law, an Old Testament law, that brings death, the Bible tells us, and there's a New Testament law in Jesus. It's the law that brings life. It's the law of Jesus Christ. It's the law of love. It's a perfect law of liberty. And perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Church, mirrors do several things, don't they? They, the, the primary thing is they reflect back to us who we are. And most of the time, my thought is, man, I got to do something about that. I, I need to fix what I'm seeing in the mirror. In James's time, they didn't really have mirrors. They had kind of highly polished metal, but it was something that would give them a reflection in other words what James is saying is the, the Word of God church, the Word of God is like a mirror that reflects back to us who we are and most of the time what we need to work on and to walk away and not deal with the bad hair day that that is being reflected in the mirror does not help us what it does is make us it makes us an observer only and not a doer. He says this in verse 26 as he winds down. Our text, he says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, we're back to this idea of bridling our tongue, being slow to speak. The implication here is is speech that is fueled by anger. He says, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Notice the word religion that he's used a couple of times. That word literally means worship. And this is a strong statement from James. He says, listen, your worship what you offer to God, your fellowship, your prayer, the song that you sing, James would say, it becomes worthless to God if we do not bridle our tongue. He goes on, verse 27, and finally, religion. There's that word again, so worship that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep one, oneself unstained from the world. Co Church James says there's actually something you can do rather than get angry rather than to uh, you know astra- attempt to establish the righteousness of God through your own anger to fix the problem there's something else you can do there's an antidote there's a marginalized world that needs your help. there are the defenseless and the voiceless who need your help and while you do this be careful as the world attempts to stain your life with its own ugliness. Maybe we could say it this way on your screen. There's a messy world that needs your help and a messed up world that will try to mess up your life. Cove Church, I, um, if I understand James, if I understand this text, let me, let me try to summarize this just a little bit. It, it, it would seem that James is writing to a group of people who are under duress. You, you, you know, they're, they're experiencing testing and trial and, and persecution. And, and haven't we had a belly full of that the last year? Plenty of opportunity to be tested, to be under duress, to be confused, to see injustice and hypocrisy. Haven't? How appropriate is this letter to our lives today? And it would seem that they're actually being pretty vocal about it. And uh, about their situation, they're trying to bring about some level of correction and justice and righteousness through their own angered intervention. And, you, you know, because maybe raising my voice or powering up on someone or bullying someone, that I mean, intimidation is a pretty good motivator in many cases. And James comes along, Cove Church, and he says, hold on. Just hold on a second. I know that you're hurting, I know that you're tested, I know that you're being persecuted, you're under duress. I know not a lot of this makes sense, but doing it your way is not going to establish God's way in your life and in your world, in your setting, in your city. So slow down, listen more, talk less, be really slow to anger. And there's something that will help. It's called the Word of God. It's actually a mirror to us, it reflects what we need to work on, it gives direction to how, how we should love and serve other people. And, it, and, and in doing this, somehow, in this way, it becomes a, an antidote, a solution, a salve to our anger and our frustration. In fact, James would say, I think as I understand this, to do otherwise. It works against our religion, against our worship. And just remember that true worship, James would say, is actually doing the Word. Coach Church is actually doing the Word, doing what it says, and a good place to start might be giving voice to the voiceless, defense to the defenseless, ministry to the marginalized, among other things. I think, Cove Church, Pastor Brandon, what's the point? I think that James highlights at least three beautiful truths for us in this short section of scripture. Number one, that the word is a reflection, the word is direction, and the word is solution. The word is the reflection to us and maybe what we need to work on and change. Where the plank is in our own eyes. It's direction on how to love others. And somehow in that process, it's a solution to my anger and frustration. Go church, here's my question. What if we all did this the next three months? What if we all did this the next 90 days, actually lived out the Word of God? Maybe some of you are doing this beautifully. Maybe others like me, you don't do this so well. What if we all did this as a church? What if we all recognized that we established the righteousness of God through loving action, not selfish anger, through active obedience? Religious observation. What if we simply decided to be doers of the word in small ways, in big ways, in planned ways, in unplanned ways, in our homes, at work, with our neighbors, those down the hall, those across the hall? Cove Church, let's commit this summer being doers of the word bless you thanks for joining us we hope you enjoyed this week's message to stay connected with all things cove church visit our website covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at covechurchpnw we'll see you next time